Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Men, episode 13, Spectre. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. And Ben, I was extremely excited for three episodes of this podcast. One was The Born Legacy because you were never going to be prepared for how much of a left turn that was. <laughs> Two was Skyfall because that was originally on my list for There Will Be Movies, Volume 2, and that's how we ended up doing the thing where we're like, what if we just invented a bunch of miniseries so we can talk about more movies? And the third one was Fallout because that's such a giant floaty question mark for me. And everyone raves about it. And then on a secondary level, I was really quite intrigued to revisit Spectre because as I've been telling you, as I've been telling anyone who will listen since this movie came out in 2015, I fucking hate this movie, but I haven't seen it since I watched it. And I was like, hmm, what if doing this podcast and seeing all four Craig Bond films in a row makes me appreciate it a little bit more? And the scene with Mr. White, I did appreciate a little bit more. However, I am pleased to report I still don't like this movie. Ben, this was your first time. What did you think of it? I was genuinely surprised how much I really loved this movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> Until... Oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Until, until like, the first hour stopped. And yeah, I was like... there you go. The first hour stopped, and I was like, oh, God, this is terminally boring now. Like... <laughs> And then what it the... just gets outright bad at some points, in my opinion. Yeah, like, like this feels like it's the complete opposite problem of Quantum of Solace, in which, like, the stuff that is harking back to previous movies is actually kind of, like, interesting, and uh-huh. Craig is doing a really good job with it, but the action is so dull that it kind of drags down everything, and so much of the movie is action set, pe- set pieces. <laughs> the action set pieces in this movie are actually kind of good, because Sam Mendes can shoot an action scene that is decent. Like, Hoyt von Hedtama, the cinematographer who did, like, Interstellar, and, and has become Christopher Nolan's go-to cinematographer like mm-hmm. knows how to shoot an action scene but like every single moment like uh, once he leaves Mr. White's house mm-hmm. and like Hugh like flashes up all the pictures of the previous villains from the from the series uh-huh. and the movie keeps on referencing them I'm just like why is this so dull what does this mean none of this means anything I don't it's real it's real bad I fucking hate the whole eco hotel mark 2 <laughs> and final London to jump ahead the eco hotel obviously (laughs) they're calling back to like one of the most iconic moments in james bond history Uh Uh, do you expect me to talk now i expect you to die yeah blah 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 it's the most banal nothing Mm -hmm. torture i've ever seen because this is a movie that starts off with sexy naked bullwhip torture to then go down to oh he's just drilling holes into his teeth and like if you if you write that down like he's gonna strap him to this chair with like mechanical like micro precision drills and start drilling into his face in certain points that are gonna fuck up his brain i'm like oh that sounds extreme and then you watch it and it's somehow 
incredibly boring and toothless. <laughs> yeah, and and like the entire time Christopher Waltz is monologuing and there's it's nothing so coming from far it. beneath him. This role yeah. is so far beneath him. He's like he's, he's not trying, in it enough. But... He's not in it enough. And his first introduction, I think, is actually kind of good. Yes, that scene where they are meeting is cool, and then he just becomes this weird living MacGuffin. <laughs> I know, and I I hate to because it was like one of my big big perceptions on this movie is a lot of people on the internet were looking at this thing and kind of going like, what well, Christopher Waltz is the obvious person to play Blofeld. They've got Spectre, we know Blofeld's going to be in this movie. Yep. They've said that Christopher Waltz is playing Franz Oberhauser. So there isn't an official confirmation on who's playing Blofeld. Yep. Also in this movie is Andrew Scott, mm-hmm. who very significantly had played Moriarty mm-hmm. uh, in Sherlock a few years earlier. So there are a, a series of people on the internet who are kind of going, this guy should be, this guy could be Blofeld. He it's, even it's, says things like, he's a disciple of sorts, and it's like, yeah. mm. like it's, it's, it's that kind of thing where it feels like they, they feels like they're mystery boxing it, where like they're doing what Star Trek Into Darkness kind of fucks up with, where <laughs> the entire movie is based around the idea that we're supposed to give a shit who this character is, or like we're supposed to give a shit about who's going to play them. And so when he has as, like he's a, a disciple of sorts, you're supposed to think like, oh, is he someone else more significant? Is he not? Is he another layer to Spectre? And then nothing comes of it. No, I'll, te- I'll, I'll tell you what. They were like, right, we've got Ray Fiennes and Ben Whishaw is on the rise. We need them to have their own personal villain. And so here's a politician man for them to fight with. And bye, he's gone. Yeah. I think the first hour of this movie is good. Yeah, I would agree. I was like, I think it is less good than Skyfall and Casino Royale. Oh, ab- absolutely, absolutely. But I'm still like, okay, fine, they can't all be complete bangers, but I'll, I'll go along for the ride. And then I just hit that point, and I don't want to ping it on Leia Seydal, because I think she is a great actress, and I love watching her work. But like, kind of from when Madeline enters the picture in yeah, terms she, of she's... the story, it's like, oh no. She is woefully miscast in this, I, I think. Know. That's the main issue, is that she is so miscast for this role, and the movie starts to like make gestures towards her being interesting in the same way that she is in Ghost Protocol where like she's actually a physical presence and stuff like that and it goes like oh she knows how to unload a gun and stuff like that but could you imagine she has the same physical presence that she had in Ghost Protocol in this movie uh-huh. I'm still fantasizing about a world where Sabine is the fucking villain of Ghost Protocol <laughs> <laughs> like the main one they are so clearly going for Vesper Mark 2 but now he's emotionally mature enough and whatnot to deal with it and obviously your big your big criticism with, with Casino, <laughs> Casino Royale is you don't like how quickly Vesper uh-huh. and Bond fall in love. And um, look. And, I, and I've always been kind of like, no, I buy it. They've got chemistry. I, in this movie, I was like, when she says, I love you during when that torture sequence, I, I, I threw my hands in the air. I, I was know. like... I remember laughing in the cinema at that. They don't use the words in Casino Royale. Like, he uses some words, and he's like, all I have is yours now. And it's like, you could have just moved this to the post they've been in Venice for a month bit and I'd be 1000% okay with it. Here, it's like, no, I love you. And it's like, uh, oh, do you though? Because it's been 24 to 48 hours. See, but the thing is, I can understand they've been through something traumatic. Like uh-huh, They have uh-huh. the sequence like they're in the shower. Like The movie makes the bare bones of gestures towards this being a relationship. In yeah. this movie, he walks in, says, your dad commits suicide in front of me. And doesn't do an awful lot to dissuade the eye, because he's like, oh, I kill people. And then it's like, uh, yeah, your dad is dead. They go I was to there. Like, it's like, you're not doing a lot to dissuade the idea that you killed him right now. <laughs> they go to her mum and dad's fuck hotel. Yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Then where they she, get on where a she train. was possibly conceived. Then they get on a train, fight Dave Batista, uh-huh. and then Blofeld shows her the clip of her dad dying, and then she's like, I love this man. It's like, you've had hey, one conversation at best. They outrageously on a train. In a... Yeah, but they have no chemistry together. Out of nowhere as well. Because she's just like, hmm. What if James is kind of hot? And it's like, oh, okay, so you're in love now? Okay. Especially because, like, again, about five seconds before this, she's like, I'm not going to fuck you. I'm not one of those girls. I mean, I... look, that bit, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, I'm okay with it if it's just, like, she's mad horny for him. And she's just like, but that's not the kind of person I think I want to be. But then she's drunk, so she's like, oh, two Jameses. <laughs> but to just fully go for, yes, I love you. It's like, I don't think you do. <laughs> The same with Vesper and, like, any of these. Like, it does bother me when characters fall in love with too quickly, but when it's just, like, we've been through a very traumatic thing, there's a lot of intensity and emotion, and, like, theoretically, it's going to be a very intense, like, month or so, and then it might fizzle out. Like, that's a fine story to tell, but to actually go for the canonical, he loves her, and this is our version of when he gets married in Her Majesty's Secret Service, wherein, you know, we've seen the trailers for No Time to Die, and, like, you know, that relationship, while it will end, is still going to be a big thing, for him it's just like I, you have not earned this whatsoever like Vespa I bought more than this but that's because Eva Green's great and Eva, yeah. like, I don't, Eva Green in Casino Royale feels like a star making performance yeah Leia Seydal in this is like ooh you oh. missed <laughs> <laughs> what is okay yeah fine. like she's still gonna get roles she's great but it's just like this was not for her um, and hopefully no time to die figures out how to use her i mean i mean again like i mean i'm not recently... wild about the idea that we're just gonna be like oh but she was evil all along in the next one as yeah it seems like bond is all like we all have secrets we just didn't get to yours yet and it's like yeah okay dude uh, the entire the entire reason they brought phoebe waller bridge on to no time to die was to boost up the female characters good uh, so let's hope that she managed to have an impact i mean she is the the final credited person on the screenplay so fingers crossed on- yeah i mean i'm not assuming she's going to be in it for a huge amount of time but we know that they have some kind of breakup and then she like works where he works or something and we'll see what happens happens but let's actually talk about spectre so released november 2015 a few months after rogue nation three years after skyfall sam mendes is back john logan neil purvis robert wade and a now credited jez butterworth are all back it is almost two and a half hours as usual too long the budget there are many conflicting reports it ranges from like 215 to 300 million depending on who is to be believed it would be the highest budget in this podcast and up to 100 million more than skyfall got which you know you make a billion dollars i think a studio is more willing to give you 100 million extra however it grossed i'm gonna say only 881 million which you know still the second highest for this podcast but i think not even half as profitable as skyfall was so you know it's nothing to be balked at but and i think the no time to die budget is actually lower than this one but i'm not i think both the second movies have been given a bigger budget but then completely like fallen on their faces in terms of how much money they've made in comparison to the one that people liked and it is this bizarre thing where yes this movie made more than casino royale did but obviously we are uh, almost a decade beyond casino royale's release the international market's so much more important and 
it's just it feels like people are aware that these movies aren't as good as the ones that they really liked people are actually really willing to go see the ones that look really good but even nowadays when you look at the box office and people will queue up to go see mediocre to outright bad movies in droves but bond name names the, ben say the names of the films you're talking about <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna but you you look at some stuff you look at the box office receipts and you go like what how on earth did aladdin hit a billion dollars Mm-hmm. or Lion King like you look at it like why is that and yet Bond coming off of the most well received movie and obviously an awful lot of what Skyfall had going for it is, is the 50th anniversary which is a huge part potentially of like what got people in to see Skyfall but it, the fact it can't sustain that or build on that is is really weird honestly it feels like this got a lot of excitement because Skyfall was so good and then died off quicker like I felt like a crazy person because I remember coming into work the day after this I saw this, and you hadn't seen it until now, but everyone I talked to at this work were like, no, no, I really liked it. And I was like, I feel like I'm going insane because I thought the consensus was this was this, this real bad. But I think actually the consensus is this is okay. This is decent. And I don't agree. <laughs> like, I, I think I, it's better than Quantum of Solace, but that's not a huge compliment. And it is a marked step down from both Casino Royale and Skyfall. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've given this like a six on Letterboxd. It's painfully close to a five, but yeah. that's where I settled on Quantum of Solace in the end. So I'm like, I like the first hour and a movie with a better second hour. Like, again, it's it's much like Coast Protocol, but I think the first hour of that movie is a five-star movie and the first hour of this movie is like a three and a half at best it just about manages to be like look we're almost as good as skyfall and then no <laughs> so despite saying he would not return sam mendes of course came back in the interlude where it appeared he would not be returning they looked at a lot of names and i don't know how many of them they actually made offers to but nicholas winding reffin i've never actually said his name out loud jesus christ really i know, I know. him and christopher nolan are both have said to have declined a formal offer. Nolan has, I think, more than once declined a Bond film, despite very clearly very much loving Bond films. And we will see what Tenet ends up being, and it might end up being his own bootleg Bond film. I mean, that's the thing, is there's so many different options to what the movie could be. It could be a side sequel to Inception, which would be insane as well. Yes, he just makes some of the biggest, most daring movies, doesn't he? That's the thing, is he is a crazy man who gets this insane... He is probably the most bankable named director in Hollywood right now. I don't think there's any other director who, like, yeah. will get butts in seats just based on it being a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, because um, he's the film student, like, wanky, like... We love this. This is our God type. He's this generation Spielberg, honestly. Yes. From, from then, that perspective. Yeah, but he's also the guy who can, like, go to Warner Brothers and go, give me an obscene amount of money. I'm going to make a tiny 90-minute movie about Dunkirk that, that takes place on different planes of chronology. And they're like, sure, go do it. And then it grosses $800 million with no name recognition. Do what you want, dude. Everyone's trying to make the Dark Knight still. So with Mendes, most of the original crew came back. The notable exception is Roger Deakins and you can tell it is nowhere near as pretty of a movie you know they went to some nice places which you know all you gotta do is point a camera at them and they look good but just the general moment to moment i don't think looks anywhere near as good i mean again again it's the same dp that works with Nolan. So it look, it, in some points, it looks like a Nolan movie, and Nolan's a lot more precise in terms of like how he shoots stuff. And like I don't think that this the, that Hoyt Van Hoytama is a bad cinematographer because I think that what he does is really really good. But you're coming off of uh, something a bit more flashy in terms of how it's cinematography for for Skyfall. Yeah, and I feel also Nolan's 
actual movies have a few more bells and whistles going on beyond yeah. just how they look. So it's also, of... also, Dunkirk only made five hundred million dollars, and I'm surprised that it was that low. I generally thought it made a lot more than that, but okay. whatever. Ah oh, well. Daniel Craig gets a producer credit. He called it a high point of his career. And the big thing here is after, so we had Quantum in Quantum of Solace, and we had that because for a long time, Kevin McClory, who owned the rights to Thunderball and Spectre and Blofeld, while he was still alive, and then after he passed and his estate continued it, there were lots of legal battles going on. Finally, a settlement was done, so we have the rights to Spectre name. Quantum is just bounced. I don't even think they say out loud that Quantum was a part of it. You are just shown various infographics that are like, oh, everyone in Quantum is also Inspector, Inspector's bigger, and they got Christoph Waltz after Gary Oldman declined because of how long it would have taken to film, even though Blofeld is not in that many locations, so I, Gary Oldman would be a cool Bond villain. Big Dave Batista was cast for Hinks. They were worried that he'd be put off by how few lines he has, precisely one, but he is a big, 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 big Bond film. He is a big fan of Jaws, odd job, these sort of mostly mute henchmen. So yeah, and, it, and it's the kind of character that we haven't had in New Bond to this point. Yeah, just a big fucking dude who seems invincible. That's the nicest thing about the kind of the Mendez duology is he is bringing back an awful lot of these older Bond elements and not all of them are as effective as others but like I like Harris as Money Penny. I like Wishore yes. as, as Q. Yes. Um, Hinks is effective enough as one of those I mean he obviously is not going to be anywhere near as iconic. They give him the fucking granite I was going to say does he have like fucking metal thumbnails? <laughs> I don't, yeah he I don't, does I don't think I picked up on that when I saw it the first time I was like oh, yeah okay. apparently they're made of granite and like oh. obviously used them to like crunch into a guy's eyes um oh. is this the, ma- soon- the mountain was was a more effective uh... yeah is the is the mountain before or after this is the question after because I think I saw that when I had moved home after uh... oh the viper in the mountain is 2014 in June so this movie could oh. be very much very much ripping off of that oh maybe it was before it yeah it could be it very well could be and obviously that book was yes. quite a while before Leia Seydal was cast in direct contrast to Berenice Slim Marlowe who had comparatively less experience, so they wanted to find someone, uh, I don't want to say who knew what they were doing, but yeah. And Sadar says she got drunk before the audition, she messed up her lines, but she persuaded them to let her try again, and they did, and they cast her, and as you said, I think they miscast her. <laughs> uh, Monica Bellucci becomes the oldest Bond girl ever, or as Mendez insisted on calling them, Bond ladies. Don't think that makes it better, dude. She previously tested for Tomorrow Never Dies, and Pierce Brosnan very much wanted her to get the role but it went to terry hatcher but you know she's back this was one of the many films you know we had quantum of solace affected by the writer's strike this was affected by the big hack of 2014 of sony stuff and it was revealed that the film very over budget sony were very frustrated and there was a lot of pressure from their side to get eon and mendez to cut back on the number of stunts to like lower the costs but they refused so yes and final thing they were seeking to film what would become no time to die at the same time a back-to-back deal that is all the rage these days but daniel craig was like fuck no these things are hard to make and they take a long time i'm not doing that so uh, they just filmed spectre our agent is james bond daniel craig is back i think this is his worst outing from an acting 
perspective. I don't think he's outright bad or anything, but I just think he was doing so much more in the first three than he is here, and it feels like this is much more Bond on autopilot. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, like, even the kind of pain stuff that he's doing in Quantum of Solace, even if the rest of the movie around him is bad, Daniel Craig is single-handedly making that movie interesting. Yeah. And Craig is not doing that here. No. That was my thing. Like, Skyfall felt like this is the end, and then it all connects back up to what the Bond you know. And this feels like someone knows what a Bond film is, is or has had one described to them and they're trying to make one from memory or something because it just feels so paint by the numbers right down to how bond is like i feel a lot of that turning him in from a dinosaur to a human being is for the most part gone um there is a shred of it with m and with where he ends up with um madeline a little bit but it's it's just nothing on like it felt like the mission statement for the first three was let's make this guy a three-dimensional human fucking being and i feel they've kind of lost interest in that now and they're just well, like think, let's just make a bond film yeah i think i think that's the thing is you see more and more of these bondy elements come back with mendez and like it, these two movies are pretty much entirely focused on honoring the history of bond we've got the rights back to everything all the supporting cast are back after two movies that like i mean realistically i've seen a lot of people kind of recently in the internet talking about how you could watch casino royale and quantum Assault as one one chunk of a movie mm-hmm. and have it be like one four hour film that kind of makes sense as oh yeah I, I feel i saw a tweet about that like the four hour director's cut of casino royale which is to immediately watch quantum of solace afterwards yeah and like obviously and i think that probably would make quantum of solace marginally better even if i think you would be kind of set the going the last hour and a half is like oh god this is yeah. not I mean, great make some edits you could probably make that into a watchable thing you probably could but sam mendes and i don't know who maybe it's logan maybe it's butterworth but they're just bringing more and more of these old bond elements back mm. butterworth gave a quote that i found really troubling for reasons i can't put my finger on he basically said he came in and he reviewed the script from his teenage boy perspective of what he would have been interested in then and any scene where bond is talking to a man he dramatically cut down because he shoots men he doesn't talk to them and i just found that really (laughs) a really weird thing for a playwright to say and i haven't seen any of the works of jez butterworth i would think you would be seeking a bit more nuance and the subtext here is he kills men he fucks ladies and he maybe talks a tiny bit but like that's not what we were doing with these first three in my I'm opinion. I'm just gonna my hot take here is I mean that very much apparent in Ford v Ferrari which does not like its female characters uh-huh. <laughs> very much at all but also I'm gonna put a lot more credit on Edge of Tomorrow and Chris McQuarrie in that case that's fair that's fair <laughs> but like it, like this this movie feels like kind of the first movie that Bond is just being Bond because we mentioned in the previous movies where like there's two movies of Bond being the fresh agent one movie of his him being like old and wanting to get out and then this movie's just it like a couple of months after skyfall yeah but the thing is it feels like they're talking about the expansive time in this huge like oh so much time has passed in skyfall but bond is still getting letters and effects from skyfall and, and just... the building is still destroyed from the bombing in skyfall and there's still a transition with what's happening with MI6 and everything. Yeah, it, it's a very strange one. There's the line later on that M says, or, or, or no, it, the line that Bond says about Q, where he kind of goes like, oh, he always does what he needs to do. And you're like, you've done one mission with this guy. Yep, he always finds a way. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, what? He he did the thing in the tube last time, but yeah. you have no context for how good this guy is, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much implied to be like two, three months later. 
I would imagine he went straight, you know, you have your funeral for him, the will is read, he receives this disc or whatever in the post, and I think he would have gone straight to fucking Mexico. <laughs> so, like, I also find it interesting, Daniel Craig did not do any acting except for that Star Wars cameo between Skyfall and Spectre. Did he have a kid? Potentially. Is is this is this when Rachel Weiss has her has her child with but, him? Potentially. But like he also out of this movie started saying some very worrying things like I'd rather slip my wrists than do another one. <laughs> and it's like, was Bond slowly killing his like love for acting? And then you look at what he's done post Spectre, and you look at him in uh, Logan Lucky and in Knives Out, and it's like, oh, this dude's great when he's having fun. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is I feel like there's a shift in between this movie and and, and Skyfall, where he isn't having fun with the role anymore. And I don't know what it is, whether or not there's just... I just think there's less for him to do as an actor. It's just like, can you just do the generic... Like, can you stand there? Can you shoot the gun? Can you bang the lady? And there's no real meat for his yeah. scene. I mean, look, at I like pretty much every single Daniel Craig performance that isn't a Bond one since Quantum of Solace, apart from, like, Cowboys and Aliens. Sure. I like him in Girl the Dragon Tattoo. I think he's a great protagonist in that film. He's really funny in Adventures of Tintin. Logan Lucky in that was obviously fantastic. There's a couple of like the other ones that I've not seen, but he's someone who I like in movies, and yeah. it's a shame that this role has kind of pulled so much out of him. And but he also feels like he's like the one man on the inside fighting for like a modern perspective on the character because he's the one that brought in Phoebe Waller Bridge. He's the one who's described Bond as a misogynist. I think basically when he was first cast, and I had this sort of weird instinctive rebellion against what new Bond was looking like before it had come out, and I was like, oh fuck this guy. This guy seems like a complete, like, I don't know. But it's it actually turns out, I think he's a really nice human being. And I think he wants Bond to be more than it is. And I think it, where it has been, it's probably thanks to him. <laughs> I am glad that he he's going to get to stop doing it with No Time to Die. Hopefully, they have. I don't think they've officially said this will be his last one, but it has to be, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't want another role where he's sleep sleepwalking his way through, especially when like the amount of behind the scenes bullshit that's gone on in No Time to Die as well. It feels like it, an actual cursed movie at this point. Yeah, I I would love to see him just get to do this is my last one. This is I will give it everything one last time, and then I'm out, and I'm just going to go make Knives Out sequels and spin-offs. So our plot, following a lead from the deceased M, Bond finds himself embroiled with the mysterious Spectre, the organisation pulling the strings on all of his previous antagonists, including Quantum. So we start in Mexico City during the Dia de la Muertos celebration. Fun fact, these don't happen. They were very clearly racistly thinking of Carnival. They have started to happen since this movie, but Day of the Dead is not celebrated in the streets in a giant parade like this, but they decided it would be, so there you go. Bond kills seemingly everybody except his target, who he then chases through the city onto a hel helicopter and barely makes it out without killing everyone. Do you know how I knew that there was something wrong from the from the very beginning? The traditional Bond opening. The walking and firing the gun at the camera at the beginning. Like, he's done it twice at the end of a film, and they did their own, like, cutesy version of it in Casino Royale, but here's the traditional one. And then, the dead are alive was a weird <laughs> thing to put on the screen. I think we've learned that any movie that starts with any proclamation about the dead... The dead speak, uh, yes. The dead speak. It's bad. Good. It's bad. I will grant you that there is something kind of charming about Daniel Craig wearing the, like, skeleton outfit and, like, strutting around and everything, and then the camera moving out onto the rooftop with... Yeah, this all being in one shot is kind of really great, and exactly the kind of, like, subtle one that 
you kind of grow to appreciate. Yeah, casually I sauntering think this... across the rooftops as well. Like, that's, yeah, that's all cool. I, I think this is all fun. It's, it looks great. There's a great sense of tension and stuff like that. What I didn't appreciate was the extended helicopter sequence. Yeah, it's a bit like very this... long. <laughs> it's so long, and it feels just. I know. I know. It's like James Bond fights stuff. I was just kind of bored by. And, and there's one million camera cuts as well while it's happening, and it just felt like this was expensive to do. So you're gonna fucking look at it. <laughs> you know, just far too much. And I think it's great up until they get into the helicopters. I'm like, I'm yeah. digging this. I'm liking the kind of like the way that they're both not in camouflage, but like paying attention. I, I don't know. There's there's a sense of style and fun to chasing each other through the streets of Mexico, mm. and then they get into like one of the single most uninteresting <laughs> places to have like a fight, as yeah. Ant-Man also showed us many many years later. True. Oh no, the same the same year, the same bloody year. Yeah. <laughs> Two the... movies have extended sequences in which the main the main character fights someone in a helicopter. The Bourne Legacy's own Corey Style. Also, Bond being a straight up sniper was a thing. I mean, I feel he's done a little of this in the past, but this was something. They refer to the Pale King. These kinds of aliases are not new, but I was immediately aware of... When was True Detective? Yeah, when was True Detective? <laughs> a isn't couple of years ago. Isn't it yeah. funny that Carrie Joji Fukunaga is directing the next one as well? Uh-huh. <laughs> Seemingly all of this is done for a ring at this point, but I mean, we'll find out why he did this, but you know. Why did he choose to take the ring? I don't know. He's just told to go kill go to, go kill this guy and then go Marcos to his funeral. Chiara. Interesting things will happen at the funeral. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's like, oh, this has got iconography on it. I'll 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 take this. This will there's come just, in there's handy. There's literally no reason for him to take this ring. Yeah. If it had accidentally like holding his hand or something and it slipped off and and he was like, oh, weird, and pocketed it and didn't think anything of it, maybe. But it, it seems like he's gone here for the ring almost. And yeah. we'll find out why he actually did it in a second. But like, yeah, it's like, did you just murder all these people for a ring? Yeah. And I, I think one of the main issues is they only got the right to Spectre back after Skyfall had come out, didn't yep. they? So there's no way they could have seeded it. But it's just I mean, they had Quantum on the table. But yeah, yeah, but it's like, but it's not like they could have inserted a shot into the end of Skyfall where he finds a spectre ring on true on silver and the and... octopus iconography is of course entirely spectre. I think one of the video games calls them octopus because they didn't have the rights to spectre. So yeah. we will talk about Sam Smith at the end. Fuck sit, hell. sit on your hatred. That sounds like a weird, kinky instruction. Mallory crowns Bond after he denies involvement in what happened in Mexico, but. Bond goes to Money Penny to assist him and reveals that M told him to kill. Which is more fun to you? Is it M grounding Bond in every single movie, or is it <laughs> Ethan Hunt being disavowed in every single Mission Impossible movie? Yeah, they're both pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's always one of these. MI5 and MI6 are merging here. Andrew Scott is here. Bond calls him C once, and it becomes his like canonical name for every <laughs> character. Several of which weren't in the room when he said it. This is a weird <laughs> role. I, as I said to you, I forgot. God, he was in it. And I think he's good in the role. I think he's good in the role. It's just it's a weird one because it exists so far apart from Bond. Like it's I, also funny to, to watch this post Andrew Scott sex symbol. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some people fancied him as Moriarty. No, some yeah, people did fancy him as Moriarty. Hot priest just... has become a phenomenon, and now here he is as the polar opposite of hot priest. Yeah, it's just it's, like, it's quite funny that watching this, my partner wasn't watching with me because she's like, "Oh, No Time to Die isn't coming out to November. I've got no impetus to like watch these movies now." You still don't. And then just like leaned over to like when Andrew Scott showed up and goes like, 
fucking gay so hot. And it's like, okay, yeah. he's, he's completely changed his... Even as a, like, Tory politician, <laughs> private school dickhead. As someone who I went mean, to private school. There's the line which is, oh, he's friends with the Home Secretary. That's and, it's like, and it's like, of course he is. And it's like, come on. As you said to me, not one person in this movie voted Labour. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are no Labour votes in this movie. The closest, maybe Bill Tanner. Maybe. I don't know about that. He demands that Moneypenny bring this box of Skyfall effects to his house at nine o'clock, and it's like, she surely has to entertain the idea that he's being like, come round for some sex. But she turns up anyway. Did the... they have sex in Skyfall? No. Well, I don't think so. They did, se- they did sexy shaving. Yeah, she shaved him. But did they leave it there? Who knows? I do know that M's bulldog is on his coffee table. That's nice. And that Daniel Craig basically went shopping to decorate Bond's apartment himself. And they were very hesitant to do it. I think you've only seen Bond's house, like, two or three times in the 50-plus year history. Because it's like, is it going to be this, like, temple of toxic, masculine, British... Rah-rah, jingoist bullshit. Or is it gonna be... I kind of like how it is here, where it's like, she's like, have you just moved in? He's like, no? I was like, oh, okay. Because he's just an empty vessel of a person. Yeah, I mean, that's because it feels like like the kind of thing where if they showed you the bedroom, it would just be a mattress on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Like, like, he doesn't give a fuck. His straight razor. Ladies will still go around and sleep with him, even if it is like, I know, like, you you hear horror stories from from girls, it's just like you go around a guy's house and it is like an unmade mattress on the floor. Yeah. Except this is is a guy that you would sleep with, or Uh, in this universe you would sleep with. (laughs) In a deleted scene, you hear a woman voice from his bedroom when Money Penny leaves. So there's some fun stuff happening there. Yeah, so we see old M, Judy Dench, in a cameo here. If anything happens to me, find a man named Marco Schiara, kill him, don't miss the funeral. It's like, whoa! <laughs> that's that's a very specific, no context instruction, but Bond, as we saw, implicitly trusts her, and so he did. It's an odd one, because it's like, that sounds like that's a cool thing, but it's just, it had all been very... It's a long time to leave the audience in the dark about why Bond is just murdering some dude without official reason. And then they're like, and then it's like, you know, oh, Money Penny, come to my house at nine o'clock, and it's like, Jesus Christ, what's he playing at, almost? And it's- it's it's one of those things where because they're trying to outlay like everything is connected without doing any of the connection stuff in previous movies and potentially we are spoiled by the MCU at this point in terms of like and even then the MCU isn't planned (laughs) like like, yes Faye's got ideas and villains and like what they want to do in the future but they're very much going into each individual movie and kind of going like what's an element of something from a previous movie we can pull from to make this more interesting and feel like it's all connected yeah they leave themselves open doors. They retrofit things but there is a connection point that they have left themselves to do that. They're not just bolting it on clumsily. Which it feels like this movie is doing and it's also what Quantum is doing where when there isn't anything and they're having to shoot original scenes with old actors and and give us context and stuff like that. Like, there is... Everything in this movie is just like, oh, that villain from a previous movie is also part of this organisation, with no inkling, apart from the fact that you had Quantum in a previous movie, that everything is connected. And yeah. it just feels so clumsy. And it also doesn't even make sense with the, like, characterization of Silver, that he would be part of this group. Like, he had his own Spectre, like, surveillance thing going on, ostensibly. Why would he need them? It just feels like, oh, yeah, and, and he was in on it, and he was in on it, and all this other stuff. Yeah, and it's like... And it's like and and later on when you've got Blofeld kind of going like oh I've killed every single woman in your life yeah did you? 
Because Silver sure felt like he had a very personal reason. And yes, maybe you set Silver up to kind of like do what Silver wanted to do. But that was a personal vendetta on its own, which worked better in that movie than it did in any other one. Yeah, he's Um, like, your beloved M, that was me. And it's like, no, it very definitively wasn't. It was um, a random henchman, but Silver was the one that was like... I almost almost would have been impressed if they would have like... Because in that scene, they they don't mention any women from Quantum of Solace. And I'd almost be impressed if they kind of did reveal that, like, they'd killed Olga Kurilenko or something. I mean, obviously, they'd have to, like, maybe shoot more scenes with her or bring her back. But that's something that they could have done something with. Yeah. Like, an actual point of, like, here is something that we can do to make this more interesting or feel like the world is more lived in. But instead, we're just going to say things to you. Yeah. Bond and Tanner gossiping about C, uh, the stuff you said, like, Oh, he's friends with the Home Secretary and all Q inject him with tracking smart blood. And it's like, didn't you do this in Casino Royale? And it was just like a tracking dot. But now it's like, we can monitor your vitals from anywhere in the world. It's like, okay. And then he shows him a car he's not allowed to have. But of course he steals. Uh, I do like the touch of, oh, this is being reassigned to 009. It's like, okay, yeah, let's let's continue to occasionally acknowledge there's more than just James Bond in the 00 program. You get to watch... And it's like, the alarm is rather explosive. And it's like, okay, everyone in the world knows what you're talking about. Oh, he says, the alarm is rather loud, so. I do like his little, I said bring the car back in one piece, not bring back one piece. And then he laughs and no one else does. Like, that's a fun little characterization. Which were good. I, I, this is the kind of stuff that I like. It's Bond, Bond with a team, Bond interacting with people. Yeah. The movie the movie doesn't fuck this up. No. And I like Bond like peer pressuring him, like, oh come on, be cool. Turn off the tra- turn off the tracker for And he's like, uh 48 hours. <laughs> uh yeah. So he goes to funeral, he meets Scaria's widow. He saves her from an assassination attempt, and he learns that the organization are meeting to a select a replacement for her husband, and he uses that ring to gain entry. He's discovered, he narrowly gets away. So, I have enormous issues with Monica Bellucci's character here, because, <laughs> look, I don't care that she admits that she didn't actually like her husband. I don't care that Daniel Craig is, like, undeniably a very attractive man who just saved her from an assassination attempt. Taking what he is perceiving as a lack of grief, as an open opportunity to just turn up at her house and bang her after she slaps him. This is some Connery and Moore era Bond rapey bullshit. And this idea that it's just all lonely housewives just need a good hard fuck, like, it's... I hate this. I really hate it. And I know he's there to get the lead on Spectre. He didn't actually just show up to fuck her, but, like, her role is about four or five lines... And I hate it. I really, truly do. And, like, it's cool that they did cast this older actress and it's wild that we have to say that someone as, like, astoundingly beautiful as Monica Bellucci at 51 or whatever was a risk. But that is how it works. And it is cool that they, they gave her this role. But it's like... I kind of wish she didn't, guys, because this is, is insulting. She, is she older than Craig? She is older than Craig. I think that's the thing, is when the most subversive thing about your scene is that the actress is older, especially, like, when every single one of these movies has cast one of these roles where there is the character that Bond sleeps with, but then she dies unceremoniously before we spend the third act of the movie with the female character who has been given time or depth or anything like that. Uh-huh. And it is, it is this exact same thing that happened in four movies now. Yeah, it was um, Solange and Casino Royale. 
can't remember who it was in Quantum. It was uh, Sarah... I always forget her name. What's the character's name? Sarah Vin or something like that in Skyfall? Oh, uh, yeah. Sarah Vin. Sarah Vin. I can't remember who it was in Quantum, but... In Quantum, oh, no, so it's, uh, it's Strawberry Fields, isn't it? It is. Gemma Arterton herself. <laughs> oh, but the, that's the thing. is like They've done this so many times, but at no point have they done anything subversive with it. Is the most subversive thing that Monica Bellucci doesn't die on screen in this movie? No, yeah, but she very clearly is going to get killed. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is, like, they, they, they say, like, go get in contact with Felix and that's like where they leave it but like yeah. the last few movies they've died in a hammock shot during a failed and shoot the the, dr- the alcohol off the top of the head and Drowned come in, in oil. Yeah. if that's the level of subversion that we're going through for this trope then yeah. why fucking bother and I'm genuinely scared for Anna Diarmas yeah I don't want to sound like a fucking prude and I would hope from listening to this podcast actually I think I do come across a little bit prudish on this sh- podcast for some reason I mean reason, compared to me yes 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 but I'm fully down for horny bond who bangs ladies but like not like this you know <laughs> it's like it, it, when your character's only trait is to be fucked by bond it's yes. inherently less interesting like give me a relationship or give do something, something else to do Ugh. yeah like her role in the movie is to be eye candy and to have sex and yes ostensibly the scene is sexy but at some point you're just kind of like right but, but it's I, just invalidated by like all the circumstances around it it's it's gross and i know it has happened in the previous three but this one just hit me way harder and i was just like oh god are we doing this again as in like i think yeah it probably is like we're watching these in quite a a close proximity to each other certain things i don't know i I just feel it was handled with more charm and ever so slightly more breathing room in the others and this one is like literally like you don't seem like you're actually bothered that your husband's dead so do you fancy some sex like I mean, I mean, that's like Strawberry Fields. Like that is an impetus for M to be there and tell Bond off. Like uh-huh. something plot related happens because of that. And yep. in Skyfall, it's all part to show like how callous the villain is. Yep. And like there are mechanics in the script that make it make sense why this happened. In this, it's just we're gonna have sex so that you can tell me to go to a thing, even though you've told me about the thing yeah. before we've had sex. So yeah. your your role in the plot now is literally just exactly sex. exactly like the plot was dependent almost on those other three women. And this one, while he needed her to get to the meeting, him having sex with her did not do anything for the plot, whereas arguably it did for the other three. Not to defend any of the other, the fact that this is four movies of four of these kind of characters, and... Uh, I'm not into it. Please, Phoebe, save us all. Does Spectre sell fake drugs for, like, malaria? Yeah. Yeah, them just openly talking shop about counterfeit drugs and trafficking sex slaves and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, whether or not they're counterfeit drugs or whether or not they're doing their thing where it's like, the drugs are half as half as powerful. I, I, like, it feels like it's one of those things Well, I've been reading a book recently which is all about, like, we sell a drug that doesn't actually make you better, it makes you worse. Mm-hmm. Or we sell vitamins that make you worse, then we sell the drug that makes you better. Yeah, but you're get... actually just back at where you were. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's, it feels like that kind of thing, where it's like, we control both the, the bad thing and the good thing, and so we'll make money off of it either way. Yeah, and yeah. it's some brave new world bullshit. Uh, this is probably, <laughs> like, one of the, the best scenes in the movie. This is the coolest scene in the movie. Like, Christoph Waltz walking in, in shadow, like, the amount of time they managed to hide him like you know it's him but for someone who is like he looks quite similar to Daniel Craig which I think is quite interesting in terms of like visual <laughs> symmetry to their him. casting other than Craig is taller than Christoph Waltz mm. but he's got a really recognisable like silhouette which yep. I think is super impressive thanks Lander Kim having his own microphone and like carry on and being quiet whispering to certain people this that and the other like it's a very cool mo- and like 
these kinds of like clandestine meeting things, this is such a trope, but I think it has done so well. And big Dave Batista stepping up to challenge Guerra and just murdering him. And like, what does Blofeld know here? Because like Guerra like volunteers to go kill Mr. White and everyone seems like they're on board with it. And then Blofeld whispers something and it's like, um, does anyone want to challenge that? And then Batista just kills him and it's like, okay. What's going on here? But yeah, very cool. And then Blofeld, knowing he's there, he says James, and then he looks up at him and says Cuckoo. It's like, that's a very cool moment. This, like, court of owls, like, they're everywhere, like, you're not safe. And then a decent car chase, I think. But I saw stuff like this, and I was like, okay, I'll get over the stuff with Monica Bellucci, maybe this movie's going to be good, but no. <laughs> That's like, like the, the act, again, much unlike Quantum of Solace, this car chase is good and interesting. It plays with Bond tropes. The gun isn't loaded. This feels uh, like it, it's borrowing from what Mission Impossible did where they decided it's really funny when none of the gadgets work and like, <laughs> he's pressing all the buttons and they're not one of them is like music instead of what he thinks it is and yeah that's all that's all really fun it's like two sexy cars like bombing it around is it milan they're in italy somewhere but and it's like one in the morning so the streets are relatively clear like it looks really cool and everything the beautiful car sinking into the river is very sad and i don't even care about cars but it's like oh no did he when when he turned air i did get for a horrible second like is this car gonna fly now i I thought that too yeah And when he does the ejector seat, even then I was like, is it gonna fly? But no, it is, yes, it is the ejector seat. But then that very cool shot of him. Oh, just appearing out of nowhere, yeah. No, the very cool shot of him, like, descending from the up above, and then, like, hits the thing, and the the parachute kind of displayed, like, good, like that. Good stuff. I'm a fan. And also, he's very jealous of Moneypenny's sex life. We don't know who she slept with. And it is, for a moment, you're like, is it C? (laughs) (laughs) Is it C himself? I wouldn't be surprised if that was an idea that they had. Yeah. And then they're like, like, no, money penny shouldn't like him either, yeah. You, you cut it at the last minute because like you have to give money penny payoff with C in that point and because mm-hmm. like she gives him a look later on in the movie yeah. which definitely feels like it's the kind of implication is that like maybe there is a draft of this script where they were sleeping together and that's how C knew where Bond was or... yeah because he has the recording you only see this person from the back and I think maybe you see him at an extreme range so you can't see the face or something I don't know but yeah it's but the, but the voice definitely isn't C it feels like it's supposed to be someone, but it isn't. Yeah, like, <laughs> and again, it's just it, to play into the dynamic that Bond and Money Penny traditionally had, where Bond won't show any active interest, but every time he's like actually with her, he flirts outrageously. And whenever there's a mention of her having a man on the scene, he's like, "Oh no, not at all. You're reserved for me." Yeah, but obviously um, in the sixties and seventies, they couldn't dare show a woman with another man in her bed. So, well, of course. And then yes, we get the dots connected for us that the Pale King is Mister White, which. When I saw it, I was like, who the fuck is Mr. White? I don't remember anything that happened in Quantum of Solace. Yeah, or apparently Casino Royale. But yeah, so he travels to Austria. He confronts Mr. White, who points him in the direction of his daughter, Madeleine Swan, uh, who can help him find Blofeld. We see intermittently the like secondary plot here is C is pitching the Nine Eyes, which is a like combined... It's like, a, it's like the UN of surveillance programs. It's like, what if the UK shared its secret intelligence stuff with America and France and all these other places and it was all one giant surveillance network and everything. But at this point he only gets eight of the nine votes he needs 
and Mallory comments about them being like an unelected power and everything. Like it feels very the syndicate <laughs> in uh, in Rogue Nation. I get what they're going for because I feel we've talked about this in like three of the other movies we've covered where it's like surveillance culture is going too far and like there are people in the public sector who who are doing pushing for this kind of stuff where like they're doing it in the name of like making life better and for freedom but they're actually what they're talking about is highly illegal and actually encom- uh, encroaching on on civil liberties and stuff. I think Christoph Waltz said it was one of the things that attracted him to the script was this whole like surveillance culture thing, but I guess it's just heightened because we've been doing these movies back to back to back to back, but it felt so like you got there too late to me. Yeah, it feels it's so late and it feels like it's not as interesting as Bourne doing it. It's not even as interesting as The Dark Knight did it. No. Seven years beforehand. No. It feels like it's like, oh, this is just a plot trope that these kind of movies do at this point, so let's let's just do it. And yeah. I such an afterthought it's not given any weight or depth nothing comes of it from the plot like it's just like oh yeah this is this is how the villains intend to achieve what they want to achieve Mm -hmm. um but at no point does the villain actually achieve anything through this all the terrorist attacks that happen in the movie are all done to get this to happen yep and it's like spectre slash quantum slash silver come across as they don't need this because they already have it. They seem like they're doing just fine in terms of, like, controlling the flow of information and, like, doing secret bullshit and everything. It just feels like a hat on a hat to me. <laughs> and he tells M all about... Uh, whenever I say M from now on, I mean Mallory. His privately funded magic data-gathering building that is not City Hall, but is... It's just like, are you saying the building itself has, like, superpowers? <laughs> and then M does his impassioned speech about how the O's are like so necessary. Like it feels like a lesser than of Skyfall with previous M's when she's testifying and she's like, you know, you need someone from the shadows, and it's like it's a license to kill, but it's also a license to not kill. They try and pick up on that at the end, I think, but it's just there's so much bullshit happening in between that it just doesn't work as a through line for Bond's character. Because that, I think, if you ask the writers of this film, they would probably tell you that like this is a film about Bond learning to show hold like yeah hold back show humanity not yeah. like no know, know when to kill when not to kill it's jason bourne saying she wouldn't want me to because like he definitely looks at madeline who is like i hate guns and i hate this life and i can't ask you to leave it and he makes the choice to not make that kill and it seems like it's all supposed to be yeah but it just doesn't work like there's not enough happening and it's funny because they've been really good at through lines for bond in the previous three movies like for as bad as quantum is there is a definite through line of grief and how to cope and everything that is the best thing in that movie and here we have one that is like there's a couple of scraps and then no actual meat yeah it it feels like the the mistake of this movie is they so thoroughly separate their kind of a and b plots and then when they finally combine again they're together for like one scene but there's no chance for thematic weight or anything to kind of like show through or be about anything like bond doesn't have another conversation with c yeah again he is literally the villain for m and q and and money penny to kind of take down like even though it feels like they had so many ideas and then they just couldn't figure out how to like bring everything together yeah. for, for whatever reason the more interesting relationship to them was this brother who Bond had but never referenced before Mr. White has a secret surveillance bunker behind a trick mirror in his weird little shack in the middle of nowhere he doesn't approve of what 
happens with Spectre with, like, women and children, and he has been poisoned. That meeting was very much, someone needs to go kill Mr. White. But he's like, oh, I've already got this poisoning. So it's like, did he just give that order for show? Because Hinks definitely shows up. So it's like, what what's happening? It, it, feels, it feels like it's like one of those, like, just go finish the job. Okay, but seems unnecessary. <laughs> they had their big conversation. This felt like a different actor to me. Even now, having watched them all back to back, and, like, fully recognising the importance of Mr. White to their, like, continuity, I'm like, is this a different person? Because he just looks so different, and he, he sounds does, and different. He it, does, and it's been almost a decade, and... Yeah. And obviously, like, they've got him in the, the makeup to be, like, this man is dying from... Uh, what, thallium poisoning. Thallium poisoning. Is, that ra- is it radioactive? Or is it... Yeah, it's, it's radiation that's through his phone. Yeah. Or something in his phone. It's based on a real-life murder. Thallium poisoning is very treatable, apparently. So, his declaration he's already dead is a false one. But he tells him about his daughter, and he and Bond put, has put the gun on the table to be like, I'm serious, and then he kills himself in front of him, and... <sighs> Yeah, that's a thing that happens. So Bond goes and finds Madeline. I was so fucking confused when he goes, go find L'American. And I'm like... L'American, yeah. The Americans? Are you saying saying this wrong? Like, why? What is going... I'm just like... And everyone saying it says it in, like, the worst accent. And so I'm just like, I genuinely don't know what you're saying right now. (laughs) And whether or not I miss hearing you saying L'American. L'American, yeah. L apostrophe, American, with an I in it. I know how it's spelled. It's just the way everyone says it. It's just like, what is going on? I don't... I don't know. But she can help you find L'American. And then he goes to her, like, clinic in the Austrian Alps or whatever. And he rescues her from Hinks. And she confirms the organization is called Spectre. She takes them to L'American, which is a hotel in Tangier, where there's a secret room that tells them where Blofeld's secret base is. So it's this, like, spa, ski resort place. They have this brief flirtation. Well, he tries to flirt with her when she's like, the view can be distracting. And he says, I hadn't noticed, because obviously he only has eyes for her. But she, like, closes some of the curtains, but it's only the ones at the side, and there's this (laughs) big fucking window right behind her. So if it was a distraction, what's that done? We get these vague allusions to the death of Bond's parents and a climbing accident and this questionnaire and, and all of this stuff and like apparently Bond's type is women that psychoanalyze him <laughs> because yeah this is Vespa Mark II we're doing and it, it just isn't as good and he finally says vodka martini shaken not stirred and they don't have them there and Q has turned up and they give Q a weird action scene and he's there to try and make him come home and Bond recognised Oberhauser and 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 he's like, do a scan on the ring and the ring shows that it was either touched or worn by Le Chief, Green and Silver but they are not shown in that order and Green is the only one whose name they don't say out loud. So they know. They know what they did with Quantum of Solace. <laughs> But they didn't have that level of self-awareness when they were making this, apparently. Do they give all of these extra scenes to Wishaw because he's on the rise? Yes, 100%. Okay, because he has such a smaller part in Skyfall, and now it's like, he's got his own 
villain plot, essentially, and he gets a quasi-action scene here on the ski lift and everything, and yeah, I don't know. And then, you know, we got this this plane versus car chase in the snow, which I'm like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this should be interesting, but it isn't. And well, the thing is, like, it, it's functionally more interesting than any action scene in, in Quantum of Solace. Mm-hmm. But this is where the movie moves into just, like, as, as you frequently say, the worst thing a movie can be is boring. Yes. And the movie just shifts into just being boring yeah. for the rest of its runtime. Like, Mission Impossible 2 being batshit insane is fun. Yeah. On a level where I can't tell you it's good, but this is nothing. Like it, for, for I, whatever reason, for whatever reason, there's a sense of energy and momentum to the first hour of this movie mm-hmm. that somehow just kind of gets let out. And as we mentioned, it, like the, it's the moment thing, they meet. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is like you don't want to blame it all on Madeline Swan and Leia said Al, yeah. but it really is like the moment they get to this thing and just everything just deflates. I think they were just trying to pin so much on this and it just hasn't worked in execution. I don't think it's worked in chemistry. I don't think they have cast the right actress for this role. Like, she should absolutely be in Bond films and Mission Impossibles and things like this. People should be snapping her up for these roles, but, like, not this one. This is just wrong for her. And, yeah, like, he rescues her, and they go to this hotel, and she gets drunk and is like, I'm not gonna fuck you, which always means I'm going to fuck you. And then we get, like, one of the most interesting moments that Craig gets to play in this movie is Vespa <laughs> confession. And you're like, yeah. what, you know what this movie could do right now? James Bond putting a tape on to watch Vespa's confession so Eva Green can come back and do a scene. I would love an injection of Eva Green into this movie right yeah. about now. What if we stopped talking about this movie and started doing our rewrite of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Just looks at the tape. They don't make a huge thing of it. Like, I had to pause it a couple of times. Like, I knew what it said, but I was like, what does it actually say? And then he just tosses it aside and everything. And we get this trope of, look, your distant father did love you. He has pictures. What more proof do you need? <laughs> In her father's secret fuck hotel, as you as you kindly put it. It's not really secret. Well, okay. The secret Although he room. somehow managed to pay money to this hotel to go, like, can I build a secret room? Mm-hmm. That other guests won't get to know about. Yep. How does he get in there? Is there a secret entrance somewhere else? Because Bond smashes through it. I presume there's like a door, but Bond's not very subtle. Bond isn't that good. He's a I think instrument. I think I was literally, literally at this point, I, I started to nod off. Yep. <laughs> watching the movie. And then Bond like slamming his like elbow into the into the drywall woke me up and I was like, <laughs> okay, no, I need I need to pay attention. This isn't. <sighs> so they go to Blofeld's Saharan base. And they destroy it after escaping some torture. C gets the Nine Eyes program approved. I love how quickly you're going through the plot at this point. Yeah, you can tell the point where I'm abjectly, like, bored of it. Because <laughs> there's a lot that actually happens, and I'm summing it up in a sentence. C shuts down the double O program, so IMF has been disbanded. You're on your own, Ethan, all of that. Even though he gets more help than he's ever had in a Bond movie, pretty much. He has an actual team at the end of this, uh, which he's never had. When they're on the train, and they're talking about guns, as you said, it seems like it might be interesting as she, like, takes one apart after saying she hates them and stuff, and, like, she killed a guy when she was a kid, ostensibly. And Yeah, again, I, you know what I was looking forward to in this when she says, like, oh, someone came to my father's house and, like, and shot him. And I was like, oh, are we going to get a reveal that she was in the house when Bond shot Mr. White in the leg? Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God, let's rewrite this film. Obviously, she would have been, like, kind of, like, 18 or whatever, like 18, hey. 19 at the point. Now. But you could quite easily have her be, like, I, I came home from, from university or whatever to see my father, uh-huh. and then you showed up and, and shot him in the leg and took him away in the backseat of a car. And I'm 
definitely not gonna fuck you. He says this wouldn't be the first time it had happened when she says, what if I shoot you by mistake? Cute little callback to the beginning of Skyfall there. Where did they get all these formal clothes? Bond wears three suits in the span of about 15 minutes. Did he honestly pack two different suits whatever the fuck his, like, hotel outfit for Tangier and his ski clothes for that place. Like, he's a, he's a Tory, of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> and she just changes. I was like, are they going somewhere? But it's like an empty train, pretty much. And she changes into this dress. And, like, obviously, Leia said I was a gorgeous human being. But, you know, just saunters out and just then just flirts outrageously with him. And is like, oh, if I have alcohol, I'll do bad things. So, all like, like, the alcohol, please, sir. And it's, it's like... like- what has happened in between these two scenes Nothing. to have changed so much about their relationship? Because it does feel like it's like night and day between yeah. the two circumstances. They just had such a long conversation after the gun combo and now they're in love. It's so up. It's such a hard turn into like her flirting outrageous with him. And like I can deal with it if it's like she's just mad horny for him. But Hinks shows up. And again, should be interesting. nowhere. Is boring somehow. I should be jazzed to watch Dave Bautista throw Daniel Craig around and then have this huge fucking fight. But, eh. Yeah, and and, 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 and I'm, I, I was trying to go, like, how does Hinks know where they are? Mm-hmm. We get the scene of him finding Mr. White's body and the camera, and, like, you start to go, oh, this guy's chasing them down, but they, they kind of miss that scene out, so we don't actually get to see him, like, show up at the hotel. Maybe he's chasing them, and... Yep. He's just on the train with them, which has been going for, like, 24 hours at this point or whatever. And almost no one else is on it. Like, a suspiciously empty train. I know they're in the middle of the fucking desert, but, like, come on. <laughs> because he's just wrecking shop and there's, like, no one, like, going, ah, and, like, running away. It's like, where is everyone? <laughs> and then, and then, so they tie a rope around his neck, attach that to some barrels that are falling out the back of the train. He says shit. He says shit is one line. And it's like, even even the Bond wikia page is just like, he's not confirmed to be dead. We don't know. Like, he probably snapped his neck, but... Probably, eh. yeah. And then she's like, what do we do now? And it's like, have sex, of course. <laughs> like, what else do you do after you do a murder? And then we go to this goddamn eco-hotel Mark II. And so he... He takes his gun and and he leaves them clothes to dress in. And in one of their rooms, I think it's hers, is the painting that was being sold in Skyfall in that, like, skyscraper scene. That's kind of cute, but not drawn attention to. (laughs) And yeah, then they meet and there's a meteor and there's a long monologue about surveillance and a reveal of a secret room where everyone's listening and then, I'm your brother and and, uh, here's footage of him handing the gun that killed your father like this is Christoph Waltz and Leia Seydoux and Daniel Craig how is this not working but it isn't to move from that to this torture scene that we already covered and like how that like it doesn't even work like he's threatening him with this thing it's like if I drill him right here he won't remember you and then he seemingly sort of does it and it doesn't work and he's like oh I'd never forget your face and she says I love you and I cringe out loud and and Fuck all of this, quite frankly. Yeah, it, it's so terminally boring and beneath Christoph Waltz. After having like a charismatic and interesting introduction, he's devolved into this yeah. where it's like, just it's, an impression of a Bond villain. Like. Yeah, it's the least interesting monologue. Yeah. 
and and like they're trying to invest all these personal stakes into it but like yeah. there are no personal stakes because you're telling us what the personal stakes are we have to be told that she loves him because we don't know that the movie is actually presented this beforehand we have to be told that they're brothers because the movie's had like a couple of it's pictures like of them fondling a picture and and like oh that's clearly Christoph Waltz I guess and yeah. also does he say that he wanted to fuck her when she was a child because he's like I came to your house to see your father and she's like I don't remember he's like I do and it's like Oh, dude! <laughs> like, what's happening like Everything is so dull. It's really and, dull. Like the most interesting bit about it is you're just kind of paying attention to Bond's trying to take his watch off. Yeah. And even then, like, and then he's giving the hints and she's not picking up on them. And then he's like, "Time flies." And then she's like, <laughs> "Oh, okay." And then throws it. And then <laughs> Blofeld like looks at it like, "Hmm," and then gets blown up. And then the line that made me laugh more than any other. They run outside. The whole fucking place blows up. Somehow. Yes. He says, let's go home. Then it blows up. And then he goes, it's not over yet. And it's like, I know what they mean in the, there's still the global network and all that shit. But like saying it's not over yet after the bad guy's base blows up spectacularly kind of seems like it is over, my dude. But I have to, I have to imagine that's like a fail safe that Blofeld's got installed. Yeah, I guess. But it's just, it seems like you've killed the bad guy and stopped the plan and your line immediately after that is it's not over yet it just it was just really hammy writing to me and then they go back to london and he like teams back up with him and everyone and they battle specter and madeleine gets captured by blofeld in the derelict mi6 and Q is trying to stop the Nine Eyes system from launching. M and C have a confrontation and C falls to his death. And it's just a bunch of shit. Like, in theory, Bond running around the destroyed MI6 facility and then being behind bulletproof glass talking to Blofeld, who now has the scar and everything. It's like, that sounds vaguely interesting, but it's just really not because he's just running around aimlessly. Listening. Do you want to you know what would make it more interesting? Anything, literally. Well, if we spent time in the MI6, Six building actually like it was a yeah. set that we knew and had a, had affection for instead it's just a blown up building I guess they're like, relying on how many times it's been shown from the outside in previous sure, movies sure but... but it's like it's not even like we go into M's office yeah, true, like, that would have been... Ostensibly, we do, because, like, there's the shots of the helicopter looking out and stuff like that, and that's the, the one with the giant hole in the wall. But mm. it's like, there's nothing in there to kind of sim- signify that this is M's office. And I, I it, it would take the sting out of the bulldog in Skyfall, but, like, if he found the bulldog or something... And then yeah, have... or even or even like they put her office back together just with this blown out wall, and then like that's where the picture of her face is, rather than in like the yeah. the cells and stuff like that. It, it, the movie is making all these kind of like reaching things to kind of like hark back to the history of Bond, and there's a couple of things that they just don't do when they're in locations and things that you could do organically to make it feel more interesting than just showing a character's face or yeah. I don't know. It's it's just yeah. it's just dull. And... It is dull. Bond breaks a cable tie with his wrists. No, sorry, doesn't happen. Madeline is like, I can't go back to this life. I can't change who you are. It's like, so is she just wandering off, like fucking off now? Like, I don't know. And then she's just captured and is a damsel. And, you know, after that tease of she knows how to handle herself kind of thing. And then she just gets damseled. And then they, they do the whole thing with the helicopter and on the bridge and sparing him for Swan and like, you know, but then he says I've got something better to do and it's like I know what you mean but again clumsy word choice where it's sounding like her she is a better thing to do and it's like just fuck all of this and then, then they filmed this scene of, of them driving off in case Craig didn't want to come back so they could be like 
And then his iteration of Bond drives off with the woman and that's the end forever. But Christ. My big thing was that it had nothing from what I perceived to be a great series of builds across these films and like how Skyfall like left you in this really positive place and like it's the past and the present and the future and Bond and it's got reverence while also being something new and Bond is a real person now and then this is just like nah fuck it let's just try and make a 90s Bond movie or something and like I fucking hate it personally. See I, I still think the first hour is good enough yeah. that I can't hate it like the first hour I'm watching and going like there, there is a way this movie lands it better yeah. and there's nothing in the second second hour that makes me mad i'm just kind of going like this is most the most made me mad yeah, yeah, the last obviously hour. <laughs> yeah but like the, the last hour i'm just kind of going like there are ways you could have landed this better yeah. with more more impact and anything like that and i think the two major issues are blofeld isn't interesting enough and oh. leia sadow is miscast and yeah. i think both of those things being fixed yeah. could have made the movie more interesting because again the movie is good when neither of those two characters mm. are actually on screen and doing things yeah and it's just like the movie falls back into such intense reverence for these two characters and they're so fundamentally misdeployed yeah. that it just kind of drags everything down with it. And there, again, like there are ways you could have salvaged this. I probably would say less men versus helicopters. <laughs> they love a man versus a helicopter. Love a man versus a helicopter. I can't remember if there's a helicopter scene in Jason Bourne, but there is definitely a helicopter scene coming up in Mission Impossible Fallout. So. Great. There was one in three. They rode a helicopter through a wind farm. That was interesting. So, Villain Watch, I mean, we've covered a lot of this, but, you know, Christoph Waltz's Blofeld, like, the meeting scene is great, he vanishes until the third act comes back as a completely different character almost. The the trope of the villain is secretly the hero's brother, he killed his father out of jealousy of Bond. That must be quite the relationship that Bond has not mentioned even once for for you to do that. Like, Yeah, it's, 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 it's that kind of thing where it's like, there's no reference to any of it, and I understand you are bolting onto this thing that you never knew that you were going to have access to but it's just done in the least interesting way yeah. you could imagine yeah like this is the bond villain this is this is dr evil is based on blofeld and like one specific incarnation of blofeld and multiple actors have played him you know the true um sean harris wears one of these like special coats in Rogue Nation and like this is all of this iconography is inherently tied into Blofeld and it's like you cast like there's a there's a short list of people that you would like write down if you want to play a big big villain and they got one of them and they fucked it up and he's obviously coming back in probably just a cameo where he's in a prison cell and just giving vague hints about Rami Malek well, but wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that the entire thing was like Craig said he wouldn't come back if they didn't get Waltz back he would if they didn't no he wouldn't come back if oh if they didn't maybe I, I don't know but I, I mean I, I understand where it's just like I think Craig feels like this needs some kind of like final payoff and, yeah because and... why did you get him if this was all well, you had I think <laughs> I think that's the, the 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 issue is like you watch this final scene for the movie and they're just like well Craig doesn't need to come back it's like cool so you've given him an out you're not going to get him back right and they're like no we yeah. still want him they were going to kill like, him in this film they changed the ending like they had a version where he killed him <laughs> I just don't understand how they're given the perfect out for Daniel Craig in this era of the franchise and they don't take it nope. like 
did they do any screen tests for any actors? And we just like, oh, there's no one who can kind of like we can kind of get because everyone else has been snapped up by all these other franchises, and we're going to be left with someone less interesting, or or I don't know. But it it just feels like they they're so hesitant to move on from Craig because obviously Craig has been a bolt in the arm for this entire franchise. Yep. And everything about the end of this movie feels like they're retro, like oh, Blofeld's still alive, so we kind of still have to get Craig back for a one last go around. Uh-huh. I just I don't know. Max C. Denby, Andrew Scott. I appreciate this different kind of villain, this like public school connections Tory type character, um, a very simultaneously out in the open and working in the shadows type of person. Like I and like if they'd taken it that step further and like he is actually Blofeld and, and you just are led to believe that Christoph Waltz was gonna be Blofeld, that sounds cool, but they didn't do that. Allegedly he replaced Chuatalogia for because he was asking for one million less pounds to do it. So they got him instead. I can't imagine Chuatalogia for doing that. I mean I could, he's very good, but yeah, this seems very him. <laughs> Am I would I be remiss to say this movie's probably got the best secondary villains of any of the Bond movies so far? Yeah, yeah, definitely because it's been one big sexy one and then no henchmen <laughs> and no number yeah. 2 and everything. Whether or not Blofeld is worse than Green. Mm-hmm. It's probably a coin flip, really. I mean, he gets a better scene than any of the ones Green gets, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like in terms of net overall villains, probably the best that this franchise has done. Oh yeah, definitely. Because if you look at the old ones, it's like there's a good one, and then there won't be another good one for a while. I like. I challenge a lot of people to name most of the villains of the Roger Moore era. To be honest, like, I know Blofeld reappears at one point, but like, isn't he like off? screen and like not said he's Blofeld because yep. they lost the they rights. Lost the rights. Exactly, yes. Hinks is good, Mr. White is back as we said, Scaria is nothing, but yeah. So, the theme, how is the theme? Talk to me about Radiohead, Ben. Yeah, so Radiohead were contracted to do the theme song for this movie. They wrote a song, well no, they submitted Man of War, which is an offcut from OK Computer, as like a B-side, but the Broccoli turned around and said like, no, 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 we want the original song because we've got a taste of that sweet, sweet Oscar gold. With and you can only Skyfall, get nominated so. if it's an original song. So yeah. yes, so they go back to them and say, "No, can we have original songs already?" Head in the middle of doing recording sessions for Moonshake Pool. I think they kind of like did this Spectre, which is why it sounds very much like that. Like lots of luscious strings. The song is really fucking good. Radiohead basically put out a little memo and said, "Like, hey, they d- made us do this. The songs just now exist. It's free. Go listen to it." Um, people have done now cuts where. They've taken the opening credits of this movie, cut out Sam Smith's song, put Radiohead's song on top of it, and kind of you can see that they maybe pre-visited it or like figured out what the theme was going to look like with this song in the background. And then when Sam Smith came along with their song, they just kind of stuck it on top otherwise. And it's one of those like sad things where it's like, don't go to Radiohead if you're going to be upset with Radiohead bringing you a really dark song. I know, like it's such a... <laughs> Like lack of reading the room and just instead all these rumours about who was going to do it and it was like Ed Sheeran and Rihanna and, and like very clearly after setting that precedent with Adele like you know they, they'd had these sort of riskier ones with Chris Cornell and and Jack White and, and Alicia Keys they were courting Amy Winehouse they were courting Paul McCartney so they're like right who's big right now let's look at the, the list of the big artists that everyone's buying all the albums of all the mums are buying the album uh, Sam Smith they have a good voice and like they do 
have a good voice. It just this song, I, I don't know about it. The most interesting thing about this song is that Disclosure did some production work on it, and I would much rather it be Disclosure uh, Disclosure feet Sam Smith than just a straight Sam Smith song because at least then it would sound interesting. <laughs> what because... if it just was that Disclosure and Sam Smith song? <laughs> yeah, but then they can get that sweet Oscar gold again. <laughs> I just mean just imagine watching this movie and these like this, and then latch latch kicks in these tentacle porny opening credits with Karen Gillan's eye and everything because she was so desperate to be a Bond girl so like this is her cameo or or even a villain uh, just something and then just yeah latch <laughs> playing up at the top would have been wild it's so disappointing because Skyfall was what a Bond thing needed to be like they went after Adele because she is in the same vein as like a Shirley Bassey mm. and Sam Smith is them kind of returning like them taking the wrong lessons from Adele them kind of going like Adele won us an Oscar because she's big so let's go for another big talented artist at the moment and Sam Smith just comes along with this like milk toast nothing nothing of a song that leaves no impact on anything and that's not to discredit Sam Smith who does have a fantastic voice yeah but no I don't want to listen to every song by everyone with a good voice like you can have an objectively good voice and make a song that I'm like ah, whatever yeah but it's why it's so much more like Billie Eilish is so much more that original choice because Sam Smith as talented as they are they're kind of working the genre of music that doesn't allow for much experimentation or like much interest and then Billie Eilish is someone who has literally like invented an entire genre based around her voice and her style yeah. and has managed to mesh that with the Bond stuff and I know you've not listened to it yet but like no it's many, so many months to have, now to it, try it's, it's so disappointing to have this one song in the middle of like Adele and Billie Eilish and then just kind of throwing it all in and kind of going for awards credence rather than something that's artistically interesting. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of like this movie in a nutshell. It's like, well, let's get Sam Mendes back because he made the last one good. Let's get a big pop star because they made they got us an Oscar for the last one. Yeah. And then everything about this movie is just diminishing returns. Speaking of bad female agency, Madeline Swan starts teasing at being interesting and then just devolves into flirting with Bond and is in love with Bond immediately and we have the trope of woman being slapped unconscious in a single hit to get her out of the way for the fight we have the trope of daddy does love you because he has a picture of you and then Bond going would Bond fight so hard to stop a man from witnessing the suicide of his father like mate I know they're going for it's because he knows he gave him the gun but like it feels very women are frail creatures that must be protected at all times. That's the thing, it's like, there's nothing in the earlier scenes of that movie that implies that she isn't aware that he was there or that maybe facilitated it in some way. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's actually surprising. I mean, they open with, pretty much, like, oh, I killed him and now I'm here to kill you, almost. <laughs> like, that's sort of the subtext before he clarifies. Not offensively awful, but, like, there's a lot going on there that I'm not a fan of. Uh, Lucia, Sciara, we already talked about it, fucking hate it. Estrella Luna. Whose name you couldn't possibly know because they don't name her. The agent in Mexico who thinks she's gonna fuck Bond in a hotel room and then he just goes outside to kill someone. That's not good. And then Moneypenny is still here, but she's behind a desk again. And that's a difficult character because its history is like she is his girl Friday, she is the secretary, like there is the flirtation ship, but they will never get it together. But like it feels like we could have modernized this by keeping her as an agent. Like Or she suffers an injury that forces her to like not be in the field. It seems a waste of Naomi Harris. It does, and especially because she goes on to be nominated for the Oscar like the next year. 
as well. Maybe uh, maybe Phoebe can save her as well. <laughs> maybe Phoebe can save her as well. I didn't realise that there was a video game based on this movie. I think it's a mobile game. Yeah, and that's the thing is they stop making like the actual full games at yeah, some point. Those, some of those would occasionally be good, and most of them were just total trash. I don't want to talk about this film anymore. And also no, I'm, 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 about done. I'm done. For I'm, a disproportionately I'm... long time for how bad it is. I don't know. I think, I think it's because I just wanted to vent about an awful lot of stuff to start with. Go to entertherealworld.com. Check out all of the good, great content we have happening there. Sleeping the Pig continues. Sleeping the Pig continues. Superhero Pantheon every week, except for the first week of the month when we have real bad instead. And we're coming vaguely close to the end of this podcast now, thanks to No Time to Die being delayed. Because next week is Jason Bourne, our penultimate movie for now. And then it will be Fallout. Which, I guess closing on Fallout, is vaguely appropriate given you and Mike Thomas are massive stands for that movie and I'm like it's so good and also I also like that we are going to be ending on like a triptych of the main directors for all three of these series as well yes because like we'll have we'll do a Mendes we'll do a Greengrass and we'll do a Macquarie all in a row the only people who have done multiple of the franchises that we're covering this is true and all did the best one Maybe. <laughs> Depending on how you feel about Casino versus I mean, Skyfall. again, but again, Casino Royale, also a director who's done multiple movies, we just haven't done Goldeneye. Maybe we'll do Goldeneye <laughs> while we're waiting for No Time to Die. But we don't have the time right now because, as we've always said, this podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Thank you, Ben. Secret Angel.